Well, Paul Cage has spent much of his life in the depths of the ocean, chasing the fishes of Aotearoa, New Zealand. A marine ecologist by trade, Paul can usually be found at the University of Auckland's Lee Marine Laboratory, where he works as the dive safety officer and provides research support to academics and students. Paul's also been an academic with a PhD in the evolutionary ecology of New Zealand triple fin fishes, which we'll discuss in a second. And he's also just had postdoctoral positions in the US researching fish acoustics and deep sea fishes. Come back and do that next week, Dave, OK? Next music session. <laughs> Dave's just leaving the studio. We've gone from the birds to the fish. Photography is another passion of Paul's, and it goes hand in hand with the wonderful fishes he gets to see. His new book, Fishes of Aotearoa, is a celebration of fish life in New Zealand. Paul's in the Tamaki Makaura Auckland studio. Kia ora, Paul. Thanks for your time, and congratulations on the book. Kia ora, Catherine. Thanks very much. Well, glad to be here. It's a great segue. I don't know if you heard much of our previous interview, but we were talking about birds, bird song, uh, and human interaction with birds in, in um, uh, particularly in some cultures, uh, whether it's living alongside, communication with, or um, or indeed incorporating into music making. You talk about the fish themselves observing the world around them. Uh, and anyone who's ever been scuba diving knows that. They're damn nosy. They are. I, I did actually hear the previous interview. It was great. It was fascinating. Um, yes, you're right. They're, the fish are endlessly fascinating, and it, it doesn't take much to get below the waves, and then you're completely lost in the world of different animals, and it's quite, it's quite fascinating and some, something I spend quite a lot of time myself doing so and is there a genuine curiosity you know when they come up and they stick their face right in your goggles and especially where you are if you're anywhere near marine reserves they're particularly bold uh, what's that behavior about are they checking out whether you're something to eat something to bite what absolutely i guess it's a whole range of things some might be um might be scared and so they might go the other way some might be curious and they come in they might be looking for an opportunity i might inadvertently kick over a stone and there might be a little morsel for them. So there's a whole range of things why fish would kind of come and be curious. What is a fish by definition? What is a fish? It is um, quite unlike us four-legged things and two-legged things. And it's, it's, a, it's an animal that lives in the ocean and have lived in the ocean for hundreds of millions of years. So they're really, they've been there quite a long time. Um, yeah, and, and fish occupy every little tiny patch of water throughout the whole world. So there's a whole, there's a whole lot of different types of fish, I guess. And that, that's something that's fascinating me, how different environments have sort of shaped and created all these different lineages of fishes. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's quite fascinating, really. You, you cover the evolution of the fish uh, in, in an early book. And we need to deal with the um, English teachers and pedants among us. I was saying earlier... Technically, I think in English grammar, we make fish a singular and a plural. However, in your line of work, it's fishes, and it's kind of become ex ex accepted. Yes, you need to work out what you're talking about, I suppose, and has is, is that been the driver of it? Yeah, yeah, I guess um, fish and fishes, yep, um, one species versus multiple. But, um, yeah, I guess the sort of meaning behind the book, I guess, um, Having a scientific background, I read a lot about fish and I understand a little bit about fish, but I, I wanted to have something, write something a bit more accessible to the non-scientists, and so this book is, is written in, in sort of that way, more broadly speaking, and um, yeah, it's sort of interesting little snippets, 
lots of information, but not too scientific. And, and, and beautiful of, photography, beautiful photography. Where shall we start uh, talking about uh, some of the species that are perhaps uh, less well known, or do you want to um, begin perhaps travelling through the different habitats of the ocean? Is that a, a, good, a good way to start? Yeah, that's probably not a bad way to start. Um, I guess the first chapter is freshwater, and, and being a marine biologist or ecologist, not somewhere I'd spend a lot of time, to be honest. And so this was actually one of the most fun and rewarding parts of, of doing this book, was going to the all the freshwater nooks and crannies of Aotearoa. And um, it actually forced me to um, go to places I wouldn't have gone otherwise. And I found myself... For instance, in the hills of Otago, after midnight by myself, lying in a cold stream, <laughs> waiting for the fish, the nocturnal fish to come out at night. Um, so there's, um, yeah, there's some fascinating freshwater fishes that I really didn't know that much about myself in, until the last couple of years. Introduce us to one or two. Um, the, there's uh, the Galaxids. So, and in particular, the Otago Hills uh, I just mentioned, there's one called the Eldon's Galaxid. And it really only lives in a few little streams and tributaries up in the hills of Otago. And um, it's actually one of about 22 species of galaxids. And um, not many people would know that we have that high diversity of these cool little uh, freshwater fishes. Um, it's about five centimetres big. It's nocturnal. It hides under stones by day. And it emerges at night to um, come out and feed on all the little bugs that live in the streams. In its um, juvenile state, is this the white bait? Yes, um, not specifically the Eldens. So there's actually two types of Galaxids. There's some that don't migrate, um, have an ocean migrating stage, but there are five species that do, and they are what we know as whitebait. So as their eggs hatch, they float out to sea, and then they grow up at sea for a little while with lots and lots of food. And then as they're coming back into all the waterways, they're coming back as larvae, and that is what we know as whitebait. And um, so there's five of those that, that do that ocean stage. And... Um, yeah, they're all in various stages of, of decline, unfortunately. And so um, the more we scoop up and put in our little fritters, um, probably not doing them a great favour. But um, those galaxies, yep, that's what we know as whitebait. The eels are the other freshwater fish, of course. Um, I have fond memories of eels from my childhood um, from a particular creek where we holidayed, and you just had to accept it. If you wanted to walk through this mossy, slimy, lovely under-your-feet creek, you were going to have to pause every now and then when there was a dark <laughs> shade in the... In the water. They never bothered me particularly. They freak some people out. Uh, great amount of diversity in our eels as well. Yes. Oh, we've got there's three species in New Zealand, um, and they are definitely the sort of undisputed predator, apex predators of our, of our streams. They really get quite, quite big, and they're quite, um, quite amazing creatures. Um, yeah, they, they're fascinating, and they, um, they can live sort of, 80, 90 years, and then all of a sudden when it's time to go, they'll migrate the whole way to Fiji or Tonga to have their progeny, so that's quite amazing. But um, speaking of harmful, um, they're very harmless. I do recount a story. I was in um, a stream out in the Waitakere's photographing some of these these eels for the book, and um, again, I was lying in the stream, full wetsuit, mask, snorkel, and then there was 10 or 15 around me, and they were swimming up under my armpits, checking out my camera lights, and I guess the buzz of the, the lights with the electricity was curi making them curious, and then all of a sudden one of them bit my lip, <laughs> the only uh, part of my body exposed, <laughs> and it latched right on, and I stood up. I was only about waist-deep water, and I stood up, and there it was just hanging down from my lip, 
uh, for a few seconds before it decided to let go and then swim away. I don't so. know what you do. Do you squeeze its head or what? I mean, <laughs> you want some lip left at the end of this, right? Yeah, um, I, I guess it quickly realised that I was a bit too big to eat, but I was left with a big rasped uh, bruise on my lip. Yeah, um, <laughs> um There's some exotics too. I was talking about the we, we promised some weird species. It's a pretty strange looking thing, this fellow with a beard that's gone completely wrong. It's a bullhead, brown bullhead catfish that um, we've got guppy we've got grass carp uh are these all introduced just help me yes um so over time uh humans have inadvertently or deliberately brought some fishes to new zealand and those species you just listed are some of them um some are bought for for sport all the trouts and, and things like that and then some are bought accidentally and they they get brought in aquariums or they come in ship ballast and um for instance, the brown bullhead catfish is, is native to North America, and um, we're not actually entirely sure why it was brought here, but um, it now lives in a lot of our fresh waterways, and um, I photographed that one in Lake Topo, and there's, there's no shortage of them in there, and they scoot around the bottom and do catfish things, I guess, with their little barbels and sensitive barbels and find find things to eat. Let's move into another zone. Uh, where should we go now? Into um, the, where, where do we go first? Oh, we could. I guess we could jump into reefs. I guess being a, a marine biologist, um, the reefs are where I spend a lot of my time diving. So I'm rather familiar with a lot of the reefs here. So it's certainly the most stunning and, and diverse place where fish would live in New Zealand. And um, just because it's just such a complex habitat, you've got the rocky reefs, you've got the giant kelps. It's just a, a wonderful three-dimensional habitat. And so there's just there's lots of little nooks and crannies and little niches and things for, for the species to live. What about the pelagic? I suppose it's often the superstar, isn't it? It's where we get some of the big impressive species. Uh, what what are some of the lesser known? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, we get the big big migratory species, the sharks and all the rest of it. But personally, I find all the little things um, somewhat even more fascinating. So. I mean, the pelagic of the open ocean is is the biggest habitat on this planet. So there is literally millions of different types of things that live there. And a lot of the animals are really tiny, and that's to just avoid being eaten, really. And so in New Zealand, we have a lot of amazing little little critters out there. And, and somewhere I've actually spent a lot of time diving as well in the last few years, and literally miles out to sea and just diving in the top few metres of the ocean, no no bottom to be seen. Um, one lucky encounter I had um, was this oarfish. Now, an oarfish is, um, as an adult, it can be 20, 25 metres long. And it's actually probably the reason why there's the sea serpent myths um, of, of yonder year. But um, I was lucky enough to see a juvenile, um, which is only 20, 30 centimetres long, but silvery, serp- sea serpent-like, trailing filaments, catching the light in, in the surface of the ocean. And, um, yeah, quite lucky to see it when you think such a small animal in such a vast expanse. And, um, yeah, so... You've seen the sea serpent. And tell us about midwater camouflage, how fish can hide in plain sight, usually using three techniques, you explain. So, yes, there's... Um, it's um, being in an open open water. It's pretty hard to sort of stay hidden from things, and so there's some pretty canny techniques that fishers can use. And one of them is transparency. It's pretty hard for a fish or even a vertebrate to be transparent. Um, that's more 
the realm of the jellyfish and things like that. So it's pretty rare in fish. Um, another one is bioluminescence. And so a lot of fishes have these glowing light organs and they can emit these blue lights. And then if you think of your, a fish hunting from below, like sharks and things might do, you look up and you look for that silhouette. And now these fish have the bioluminescence lining the underside of their belly and they can match the same light as the downwelling light and they effectively just disappear into that downwelling light. And it's really quite remarkable. And they can change the, the contrast of those colours depending on how light or dark it is or how deep or shallow they are. And it's, um, yeah, it's really quite fascinating. And that sort of layer of the, of the ocean is just the, the largest bioluminescent biosphere on the whole planet is really quite something. Now, your PhD is in triple fins. Please explain uh, these fish. Triple fins, they are, I would like to call them, uh, like they're equivalent to Darwin's finches. So Darwin sort of developed his theories of evolution on all the different species of finches in the Galapagos. Well, New Zealand's triple fins are kind of quite similar in many ways. They're really diverse. There's 27 species that all live in the reefs of New Zealand. And so you can go on any one dive and you can see, you know, a couple of dozen species. And the reason they're so diverse is because they're really good at radiating or speciating and to move away from scientific sort of jargon, they've managed to occupy all these tiny little micro niches, whether it's on the top of the kelp or under a rock or in the turf, and then quickly find, make that their really good home, adapt really quickly, and then turn into their own species. And so my PhD was actually looking at sort of the mechanisms behind how they, they sort of speciated and how they shifted to sort of occupy these vacant niches. So um, there's endless um, research questions kind of from those evolutionary ecology um, perspectives. And um, so they're just a really fascinating um, group of fishes we have in New Zealand and actually super characterful. On any given dive, they're probably the most interested and curious fish there and they're always, they'll always come up and show you some neat behaviours and things like that. So, What are some of your favourites? I know when you do a big project like this or when you've you know, spent as much time around these animals, as, these species as you have, uh, it's impossible to name favourites. But I guess for listeners, they'll have heard of some, they'll have not heard of others. Um, what are one or two where their, their particular evolutionary traits are unusual or, or, or fascinating that, that, that you'd point to? Yeah, right. Yeah, you're totally right. It's very hard to pick pick a favourite, but I'll, I could name a couple that are pretty interesting. Um, there's the sand daggers wrasse. So that's um, a wrasse, which is kind of similar to a parrotfish. And it's really brightly coloured like a painter's palette. But what's fascinating about them is they all start life as females. And then the most dominant one will then change into a male. And then he will protect his little harem of females and juveniles who are all females as well and he'll he'll go around and suppress them and make sure their testosterone doesn't build and they stay females and so then he's got a harem that he looks after and then should he die or um, the next biggest and boldest one well then the testosterone will sort of ratchet up and then she will turn into a male and then carry on that sort of whole process <laughs> it's the patriarchy of the fish world excellent so, yeah, it's, story it's amazing <laughs> Hey, needs must, I suppose, um, when you've survived that long underwater. Thank Absolutely. you very much. Congrats again. Paul Cager, Fishes of Aotearoa, is published by Potton and Burton.